From high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Molly Marcello. This is your news for Wednesday, September 20th. It almost seems like there are infinite ways to disagree in our culture. So when any issue has an overwhelming majority of folks in agreement, maybe even, dare I say, consensus, it's notable. I think in Moab, there is a consensus building issue. It's getting rid of the goat head. They, they impact everything that we love doing <laughs> in such a profound way. Yeah. Bike tires and feet and yeah, everything. <laughs> everything okay. yeah. Colin Topper is the chair of the Trail Mix Committee, a local organization devoted to those things folks in Moab do seem to love doing, spending time in the outdoors. And the goat head, also known as puncture vine, tends to, well, pop those outdoor plants. Its sharp, spiky seed head can puncture bike tubes and tires. And oh yeah, bare skin. Topper and other community members gathered at the Mill Creek Trailhead are making sure the noxious weed doesn't puncture anyone's plans here. It's part of a new weekly goat head roundup at popular trail sites around Moab. So what does Topper like about pulling goat heads? Nothing. <laughs> about the act, but I love uh, the sense of accomplishment and knowing that, you know, and then coming back to these places year after year and actually seeing that there is some kind of, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're having a, an effect. Progress. Yeah, we're yeah. making progress. Yep. Local experts say there's just not as many goat heads in Moab as last season. It could be this year's precipitation patterns. It could be the late spring or it could be that community members are getting organized. Last season, the Moab Goat Heads Gone Facebook group really took off. People went online to share stories and tips for pulling goat heads and alert neighbors of public hotspots so they could collectively take action. This kind of community camaraderie warms the heart of Grand County's weed control supervisor, Izzy Weimholt. Oh my god. <laughs> it's one of my favorite things. <laughs> Just like the the engagement I see online and then also just in person is so motivating. The weed department right now is organizing the annual Goathead Gala. That's another way for locals to get engaged around the removal of this invasive weed. Over the next two Saturdays, locals can bring their harvested goat heads to the recycling center and weigh them. Heaviest haul will win a prize. The invasive species world can be really depressing sometimes because the weeds always win, you know. But seeing community members come together and everybody having a great time hanging out like that is, that's like why we do it, other than the ecological restoration side of it. <laughs> Basically, Weimholt says community building is a bonus. And now that there's an organized team of local Goathead warriors, the creator of the Moab Goatheads Gone Facebook group is thinking about ways to do more. I'm thinking about the elderly. I'm thinking about uh, other people who, you know, maybe they're just super busy right now in this stage of life. Maybe they've got kids. Maybe Randall Lewis whatever, speaking like, with a hoary hoary knife in hand, his favorite for slaying goat heads. He says if downtown Moab no longer has an overwhelming goat head problem, he's thinking in future seasons, goat head warriors can spread out and help others who might not be able to stay on top of them in their own yards. Uh, how do we build a community where we kind of pay it forward? Is there a way for us to, you know, donate time, pull it in one yard, and then, then those folks are then able to contribute and volunteer their time as well, and we kind of go house to house, and eventually we could potentially take care of them from all of the main core of downtown and then start reaching out into the Spanish Valley. Lewis describes himself as cautiously optimistic about Moab's goat head problem. 
Experts estimate that the seeds can last for seven to 10 years, maybe even more. They're some of the most hardy that exist, but they are annuals. So as Lewis points out, if you get them before they produce seeds, you can make progress. So if we got rid of most of the seeds, then the next year it'll be a lot easier. So uh, that's what we've seen in the dog park. It's actually been quite surprising how few goat heads were in there. So, uh, so anyway, I'm super excited and uh, I'm still cautiously optimistic. He points to a few areas that have major goat head issues, like the area next to the high school tennis courts and the field behind the Maverick gas station on 400 East. But it's all about taking it one step at a time. And here at the Mill Creek Trailhead, folks have a good example of what can happen with years of steady effort. Here's Topper from Trail Mix again. In and around the parking area, there just aren't a lot of goat heads sprouting, which is really neat to see the fruits of all of our labor yeah, over the years. Or as Weimholt at the weed department puts it. Yeah, the lack of the fruits of our labor. Yeah. <laughs> This week's Goathead Roundup, organized through Trail Mix, will be at the Hidden Valley Trailhead on Thursday evening. They recommend bringing gloves, water, and to get ready for, quote, a real good time. And the annual Goathead Gala continues this weekend. You can find more information in the show notes. Harmful algal blooms are a serious problem for bodies of water across the West. In Moab, just this month, a harmful algal bloom was recorded for possibly the first time at Ken's Lake. Now researchers in our region are developing a tool that uses satellites to detect possible blooms. The Mountain West News Bureau's Murphy Woodhouse has more. Such blooms are most commonly caused by aquatic photosynthetic bacteria, which produce toxins. They can irritate the skin and eyes, or if ingested, cause stomach pain and other symptoms in people and animals. Monitoring for them can be time and resource intensive. Tyler King is a research hydrologist at the U.S. Geological Survey's Idaho Water Center. He's part of a team that's developed a tool that uses satellites to detect high concentrations of chlorophyll. That can indicate a harmful bloom. It's very expensive to do a comprehensive monitoring program. You can use the satellite imagery to help prioritize, you know, where in the water body should I go? The tool is currently calibrated for bodies of water in Idaho. But King says that with on-the-ground observations and validation data, it could potentially be applied globally. He and others are already working with other colleagues across the West interested in using the tool elsewhere. I'm Murphy Woodhouse. Conservation and community groups have filed a lawsuit against Utah for what they claim is the state's failure to avoid, quote, an ecological collapse at Great Salt Lake. As Alex Gonzalez with our partners at the Public News Service reports, the lawsuit seeks a court order that would require the state to let more water reach the largest natural lake in the Western Hemisphere. UC Law San Francisco Emeritus Professor John Leshy says the lake is a public trust resource per the state's constitution. He adds the court will examine what that means when it comes to managing and protecting it. Back in the 70s, the California Supreme Court stepped in to protect Mono Lake from its water being diverted to Los Angeles, utilizing the public trust doctrine. Leshy says it could set a strong precedent in Utah. The Utah courts will, will have to make up their own minds about 
what Utah law says on this subject. But obviously, if they look to the Mono Lake situation, they will do something along the lines of you, you can't let this important resource disappear from inaction because that's what the future holds unless the courts intervene. Leshy says potential public health impacts make the Great Salt Lake case different and more serious than the Mono Lake case. According to a NASA study, residents in West Salt Lake City and Toole County will be disproportionately affected by the exposed lake bed sediment, which contains fine particulates and toxic pollutants. I'm Alex Gonzalez reporting. Mariachi is part of our region's cultural quilt. Martha Harris with our partners at KUER reports on some of the musicians in Utah's first statewide competition. These are students from the music program Academia Mis Raices in West Valley City. They were the youngest group to perform, but by far the biggest. The competition took place inside the echoey Utah State Capitol to a standing room only crowd. Carly Sue Pereira has been performing in Utah with her group, Carly Sue y Trio Los Charros, since 2016. And I just think it's really cool because the mariachi community is, is growing, and so we are finally able to do an event like this. Um, whereas like, I don't know, five, six, eight years ago, maybe we wouldn't have been able to. She's a third generation mariachi and her group got second place. Snyder Porras performed with Mariachi Guzman, which took first. He also teaches mariachi. He says for kids who are born in Utah, but whose parents were born outside the U.S., mariachi is a way to stay connected to their culture. Claudia Loaiza works for the State Division of Multicultural Affairs. She says mariachi transcends cultures and borders. Um, especially here at the Capitol where you may not always see this amount of color and music and, and liveliness, but um, something that's really going to stick with me forever throughout today was um, someone coming up to me and telling me that they'd never been here before because they weren't sure if they were welcome. At the end of the competition, all of the groups performed together. Audience members danced and sang along. And by the end, they were calling for more. Martha Harris reporting with our partners at KUER. And that's the KZMU News for Wednesday, September 20th. Get your community-powered journalism weekdays on the airwaves at noon and 6. You can also find KZMU News anytime online at kzmu.org or wherever you listen to podcasts.